What's up, Dub Nation? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, Sports Ethos presentation. Sam Warlick here, your host. We've got a very special episode for you today coming at you right after the trade deadline. And special guest Corey LeBeau here talking all things Warriors and our initial reactions from all of the madness from today. So let's get right into it. Hey, Sam. What's going on, Corey? What's going on? An action-packed day has been exciting. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a busy day. Been scrambling a little bit, but glad we were able to find the time to connect amidst this uh, very hectic and crazy trade deadline in the NBA. Absolutely. And I'm kind of glad that we're doing it after the trade deadline, because if it was earlier today and all we were going to talk about was last night's game against the Portland Trailblazers, it would have been a much more (laughs) somber conversation. Yeah, let's start with the more exciting stuff and and get to the the Blazers and Warriors struggles later. Um, You know, obviously, before we get into the Wiseman news and all of that, I'm curious, what were some of your takeaways for other teams and some of the other deals that went down you know yesterday last night this morning this afternoon you know i think it first of all what a tremendous trade deadline this has to be the greatest trade deadline of my lifetime and surely like nothing before that could top this i feel like every single team made a trade except for like chicago and cleveland or something so just a lot of activity but the big takeaway is that it's what we've been saying all the time is that no one's really pulled apart in the West. I mean, Denver's at the top. They've got a lot. They've got a a relatively nice cushion, but everyone seems neck and neck in the West. And it seems like every team was like, okay, let's put our chips in because we can make it work this year. So we were seeing these, these acquisitions come across the, come across the transom, right? It's like, oh my gosh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, all these players, the Lakers making their big trades, all of these teams. It was like the Warriors have to do something. They have to do something because everyone else is going all in right now. Yeah, and it was um, Miami, Sacramento, Chicago, and Washington that didn't make a move. Although it looks Sacramento. like, looks like uh, Washington is going to be buying out Will Barton. So I don't know if that... I don't think that counts as a trade deadline move because it's just an internal buyout. Um, well, you know, it's that's so interesting, though, Sam, because, I mean, we'll probably talk about this, too, in terms of the buyout market, but so many players and so many contracts just got thrown around today that I feel like the buyout market's going to be pretty big as teams figure out what they're trying to do. So it'll be interesting to see who gets bought out and what names are available. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree for sure. Um, do you feel like you know phoenix and dallas you know how how's kind of the hierarchy in the west changed or not changed i mean obviously it seems like the west just got a lot tougher you've got Kyrie and durant on this side of the conference now but kind of like some sacrifices being made for those teams in order to bring in those players so i'm not totally sold on just going all out to say, you know, Phoenix is the new um, the new favorite in the West. 
Yeah, you know, I, I agree, Sam. Like, I'm watching that, and it's so funny. It's like I was saying, like, everyone, it, the West was so in flux that everyone thought they could make a move. But now that everyone's made a move, we're still kind of like everyone in the exact same place. And I'm thinking, I was seeing the KD trade, and first of all, crazy that Phoenix was able to get them. But where is Phoenix's depth now? Like, everyone's saying, like, oh, Phoenix now has, like, the best odds in the West and they're favored to win the championship, or at least the Western team to win the championship. And I'm like, yeah, KD and Booker, that might be the best one-two punch in the league right now in terms of pure scoring. But where is all of their depth? That was kind of a highlight for the Phoenix finals run a couple of years ago. They got rid of everybody. And I don't know where they're going to find that depth. And we know in the playoffs, especially as Chris Paul gets old, Kevin Durant is older. Like, I don't know how that's going to go through four straight rounds. So I'm not as worried about Phoenix as some folks are. Same with Dallas. They got rid of all of their defensive integrity. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm a little bit more interested in teams like the Clippers and Memphis like the Clippers got a backup center to kind of another body to deal with Jokic and fix one of their issues. Memphis got Luke Kennard from the Clippers. That's a good shooter that you can put in the corner when all the attention's on John Morant. It's those incidental moves that kind of vaunt up the core of what the team's already had that I'm more interested in than these giant superstar trades that have come across. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, Mikhail Bridges is playing like 38 minutes a night. So, yeah, you've got Tori Craig and um, Josh Kogi, who are, you know, great wing defenders, but you give up Bridges and Cam Johnson was kind of like their, their starting three, three slash four um, knockdown shooter score. So you lose a lot of depth, you get KD, and I guess you are banking on the health of Chris Paul and uh, outscoring teams. And then more or less the same for Dallas. You, you get rid of Dorian Finney-Smith, who's a high minute, low usage, you know, do do it all type type of dirty work player, and you bring back Kyrie, who, who yeah. just finished, who just finished destroying the Brooklyn franchise, um, and you've got Kyrie on a on a expiring deal, so there's not even a guarantee that he's going to resign with with Dallas. So, um, I think you know, from a scoring standpoint, it's like, how are you going to stop? Luca and Kyrie, how are you going to stop Booker and KD? But um, who are they going to defend? Um, and so I think, yeah, you add those superstars and scoring and guys who can just get a bucket that you give up defense. So it's kind of a wash in my book. I don't think it really moves the needle too much. Um, Memphis, yeah, Luke Kennard, I think, is a good add, but Memphis has yet to do anything substantial in the playoffs yet with this young group. So I'll see mm-hmm. it when I believe it. Um, the Clippers, I think, have probably the most complete uh, playoff roster other than the Warriors in the West. But it's a question of if they can stay healthy, right? All those guys have just proven to be in and out of of being available to play. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's the same as the Warriors, right? Everyone's all bunched together, and it's like, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens when they all get healthy. Let's see what happens when all these gears click. And I feel like these teams that made these big superstar swings, they don't have a lot of time to try to get those pieces and build that chemistry. But at the same time, no one's really gotten into a great rhythm except for arguably Denver. Right. And 
So it's it's going to be interesting to see, especially right after the All-Star break, these games are going to feel a little bit more electric now because it really is these new teams waging themselves against each other and how they match up. And all I saw but Denver I, do was trade Bones Highland, right? I think they got anything he, back in return. Did they really not get anything back? It was just a salary dump? Or I think they got future picks, but not like they didn't get yeah. players. They didn't get players back to help them now. I could be wrong. That's just what I can remember. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, they were the one team that maybe was like, hey, we just need Jamal Murray to keep getting healthy. And he's been rocketing it up lately. Denver makes me nervous, man. Makes me nervous. But nothing to do about that until we see him in the playoffs. Yeah, I think for me, it's like, I think we talked about this last season. The playoffs is different than the regular season. And I think we can agree on this point unequivocally, which is this Warriors roster is not built for regular season wins. And the NBA today and the way that the game is officiated and the pace at which the game is played, other teams have guys that are just built to draw fouls and live at the free throw line. And it seems like the Warriors are kind of the odd man out as far as adapting to that play style but when you get to the postseason and it's not every little ticky tacky fouls being called and you can actually play defense with some physicality and you've got this proven core that's had eight finals appearances nobody else has that type of experience on their roster and so for the warriors i think it's get to the playoffs and then see see where some of these western teams look in postseason ball because it was the same narratives last year coming into the playoffs. Oh, you know, Warriors six going up against Denver three, you know, Warriors don't have a chance. We steamrolled them, what? right? Same thing against Dallas and Luka. We don't have a chance. We steamrolled. Them. It's just the NBA playoffs is a different game altogether. And so it's hard to just look at regular season um, success or failures or shortcomings and just immediately translate that to postseason matchups. You certainly can get takeaways from that. I'm not um, just totally dismissing the regular season doesn't matter, but I think for this Warriors team, it, it has slightly less significance than, than for other teams. I, I feel that. I totally feel that. And we can, if we need to transition into talking about like the Warriors season and everything, I get that. But, you know, it, it, the Warriors were the three seed and, the, and Denver was the six seed, right? So the Warriors had a good season last year. They had a good season. They were going in confident. They had everybody healthy. This would be a little bit different with Denver, like on top of the world and really clicking in a much better team. And you know, it would be one thing if they're losing the games because they're injured and if the Warriors were losing because they're injured and they can't get any momentum because the guys are coming in and out. But, man, they cannot win close games. They just can't close these games. And it's really confounding how this team that is built, like, prides itself on being a championship core, on being winners, on knowing how to win games when it matters – all of a sudden, like, like take Portland, like they're playing really well the entire time. They're up four points with, you know, it's the same story as the entire season. And they just get the water turned off. They can't manufacture any offense. They can't get a single stop. They make the stupidest turnovers and decisions. And they trick another game away. It's like, I feel like I'm in Groundhog Day. Yeah. Well, it's self-inflicted, right? It's not... I mean, the other team's stepping up, but it's not like we're sitting there saying, like, man, 
we don't have enough talent off the bench. Like the starters, they play so well and they build up this lead, but then the bench came in and they lost, you know, the other team went on a 10 run. It's like the closing group, the last three or four minutes of the game, you've got Draymond out there and Thompson, Curry, if he's healthy, Wiggins, you know, some combination of, of Poole or DiVincenzo, depending on mm-hmm. who's, made, who's made the worst turnover in the closing stretch. Um, <laughs> but it's all self-inflicted, right? So it is incredibly frustrating and, and confounding, as you said. Um, I just feel like they're not, they're not locked in. They're not focused. They're not, they just feel like, you know, like that Portland game, you had like three, like, Earlier in the fourth, Poole scored like seven points in a row where he was just on fire, right? Just like beeline drives to the rim, incredible step back three in transition. He's like flying high. And then closing stretch, we need a bucket. He tries to replicate that kind of doing hero ball. Not a lot of movement, mm-hmm. not a lot of not a lot of offense being run. It's just kind of ISO. Poole takes a couple shots, you know, good looks. He can't convert. Thompson takes a couple shots, good looks, can't convert. Wiggins takes a couple shots, can't, you know, can't convert. Um, yeah. Just getting away from what built them the lead. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's focus, it's intentionality, attention to detail, ac- lack of execution. But these are all like correctable things. This isn't like we need to go blow up the core. Or we don't have enough talent um, or the other team's better than us from a talent perspective, it's just like, we're beating ourselves and yeah. it's more fear frustrating in that sense. But in another sense, it's like, it's also more correctable. Yeah. That's interesting. It's kind of like the two sides of the coin or is the glass half empty or half full, right? Cause it's like, Oh, it is correctable. It is all we have to do is stop losing these games. <laughs> at this, like, like it sounds silly when you say it, but it's like, yeah, just stop throwing away these games at the same time. That means that like, I know a lot of people on Warriors Twitter was like, what's the trade deadline going to be? What are we going to get? Who are we going to get? And we got someone pretty exciting. Like I'm excited. We can talk about that, but at the same time, it's what you're saying. Nothing's going to fix the fact that this core team lost the game last night like that's right. not another player who's going to be out there right you know if we were talking theoretically. about like the beginning of the season totally different exactly. right? the beginning of the season it was like personnel right like oh man this this second unit that's been constructed is is clearly not working maybe a trade would really help um and me heading into this trade deadline is like man all these games the warriors are losing a trade wouldn't have done anything Short of you decide mm-hmm. it's time to blow up the core and ship off one of Thompson, Draymond, or Wiggins, or Poole, mm-hmm. or any combination of those players, any fringe bench guy, could they make an impact? Sure. Would they, would they be in the game in the closing minutes where we've thrown away these games? No. So it's not like going to necessarily address that issue. Now, I am really excited that we've gotten that we got GP2 back because I do think he brings a lot to this team. And most importantly, he fits in systematically. He played with this team last year because that was my concern. You go get somebody, now you have to reintegrate them into the system, figure out how they gel and mesh with everyone else, um, figure out how to play alongside Curry and Thompson. And and GP2 already checks all those boxes. So, yeah, I, I'm thrilled 
that we got him back. I think that, you know, I'm not really tripping over, like, you could have re-signed him and traded James Wiseman for something. Whatever. It is what it is. You take the L on the Wiseman pick. The experiment is over. You know, I wish Wiseman the best in Detroit. Just saw a report that Detroit plans to start him, so good for him. Maybe he has a a clear path and opportunity to some starting role in Detroit where he can begin his career and and flourish and, and develop into the player that he should be. Um, and for Warriors, you know, you pivot away from that distraction and bring in a very critical piece, which is like an, a very good on-ball defender, above-the-rim player, a guy who we saw at times defend Nikola Jokic on switches, Jason Tatum, <laughs> Luka. I mean, he literally defends one through five. He's not a knockdown shooter, so I'm interested to see how he plays alongside Kaminga, Draymond, Looney. You know, if you've kind of got a few of those guys on the floor at the same time, how do you kind of manage rotations? But I know the coaching staff will figure that out. So I think um, a very shrewd move by Bob Myers to turn James Wiseman into something um, when if you wait, if we waited long enough and you wait a few years and he continues to not pan out and not get minutes under Steve Kerr and not develop, I mean, he eventually becomes worthless. So you salvage something out of it you get a player back that Warriors fans really wanted and the time to kind of integrate is basically zero. And also he was injured for half the season and really just started playing for Portland in the last few weeks. So you get to skip that whole third of the season where he was on the mend. Yeah, definitely. It almost like if you, I bet Bob Myers is like laughing to himself being like, this is what we planned all along. It was a handshake deal. We were going to get him back the whole time. Just rehab in Portland, figure it out. No, it's, I mean, it's so thrilling to have Gary Payton back. I mean, I remember when we were podcasting before the beginning of the season and we were talking about the loss of it. And it's like, obviously, you know, it was just more money than we could afford. It just, what is what it is. But This wasn't just a role player. This was one of the best point of attack defenders in the entire league who closed lineups in the playoffs, in the NBA finals for the Warriors over Jordan Poole because he was smarter and better defensively and still knew how to make himself a threat on offense. To have him back win a lot. I mean, if the Warriors are losing games, it's because a they're like almost intentionally losing them sometimes with these des- dumb decision making down the stretch. But it's also been their defense has been maybe the worst it's ever been in the dynastic era, other than yep. you know the years they were off. But even in the twenty one Ubre Wanamaker year, they weren't this bad on defense. They can't stand in front of anybody, and it's because three of their like primary six guys, Steph, Clay, and Poole. I mean, Clay is still working his way back on defense. Poole is might as well not be standing there. And Steph, who I thought was actually really good defensively last year, is just you know he's doing too, he's doing so much. He hasn't been on it as much this year, and it's really been Draymond alone to have a point of attack defender. That's not just Dante and Kaminga, who are also Kaminga, who is learning. As we're, we saw in that Portland game, he looked out of his elements even though he really wanted to be the guy who was stopping Lillard and doing all this stuff. He looked like the young kid he is and Dante who has to do so much as well. Having another person to shore up that defense, I think is going to be huge. Yeah. Now, and you just le- lean into yeah. small ball, right? I mean, Wiseman is just eating, 
eating a roster spot and 10 million times seven in salary. Um, if you don't have plans for him, if you're not going to develop him, turn him into a additional small ball defender who can play, you know, one through five. Yeah. I mean, and that's the real question, right? Is are the, the Warriors are now very small and there are going to be some lineups I can imagine where Clay's playing the four and it's like Dante, Peyton, Curry, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's going mm-hmm. to be a lot, almost exclusively three guard lineups now. Maybe that'll make a difference defensively if we at, if at least that we can hold the penetration and it doesn't have to be so much on Looney and Draymond on the back end and they can do their really smart, uh, free safety roaming the court on defense because we actually have guys who can keep their guy in front of them. That's going to make a big difference. I am interested to see how Kerr does balance the rotation, how he does balance all these guards. And what you said too, the non-shooting threats when already, when like, man, important, like Draymond did not want to shoot last night. Like he did not, like there are some days where he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to get 15 points. And there are some days where he looks like from last season or the year before where I'm right. not going to the rim at all. And when he's like that, it makes the court really tight. It'll be interesting to see what Peyton does. But he hit some big shots last year for the dubs, so maybe he'll do that again. He did, yeah. And just just real quick, one thing you said earlier, I actually think Clay's better at the four in, in certain matchups, right? Like, I don't think Clay's yeah. going to hold his own against Isaiah Stewart, although he certainly tried but against, like, <laughs> against like Jason Tatum against kind of like more than modern day four, like a Cam Johnson, Jason Tatum, Jay Crowder type player. I think Clay's much better positioned to stay in front and defend at this stage in his career than, um, you know, pre-injury when he was the primary defender on Harden, Lillard, you know, basically any, any one through three. Totally. Like this move, it really pivots. Clay is now like, we've always thought about him as the shooting guard. And he kind of, for the longest time during those, that, um, the, the first round of the dynasty, he was like the archetypal off guard. He was like, Steph was the point guard. He's the shooting guard. Now Clay is assuredly, he is a wing player. He is a small forward or even a four. Like that's just his body type. That's the size as the league's gotten wider and smaller. And I think that might make sense because we've gotten in trouble when, Clay wants to be the guy who's guarding the really fast, quick twitch dribbler because he can get torched on those. So I'm not sure when this happened because I was just going to make a comment and complain that they need to change um, Clay Thompson's position eligibility in ESPN fantasy basketball from shooting guard to <laughs> shooting guard small forward. And I looked just now and he does, he does actually have the small forward designation now. So it was almost like ESPN was uh, reading my thoughts uh, but they had to have just made that change recently because <laughs> I swear the yeah. other day I was like, why is Clay Thompson only a shooting guard? He does not play the two, the two guard right now for the Warriors. For the longest time, he was starting at the three with Stefan right. Poole in the backcourt. Yeah. And why they only have Draymond at power forward eligible, I don't understand. But it's a conversation for another time. Um, I mean, this is a big, this is a big tangent, but just since you brought it up. The fact that in 2016, our 73 win season, that Draymond wasn't first team All NBA as the center, and instead it was freaking DeAndre Jordan, oh my God. is just like a, <laughs> a positional travesty. I'll never forget it because they won't consider Draymond a center, even though he was easily the best one in the league that year. Right, right. But that's another era. That's that feels like eons ago from both what's happened in the league and also how basketball's played. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because um, kind of talking about trade deadline stuff, Steve Kerr had mentioned that he had had a quote at the beginning of the day that he wasn't expecting any moves to be had. Um, I personally wasn't really expecting any moves to be had, even though, you know, like you had said, all of Warriors Twitter is just kind of like, what's the move? What's the move? They're going to do something. Um, And I don't think that five second round picks for James Wiseman was particularly good value, but it also was (laughs) obviously enough of a trade chip to then go to Portland and, and make that deal happen. So my whole thinking was always like, Nobody's going to do us any favors. Nobody's going to give us a favorable deal. And the Warriors don't want to trade somebody for pennies on the dollar. Um, you know, and I'm not sure how close we were to the OGN and OB trade, but I know that Toronto wanted Kaminga, which we obviously didn't want to part with. Mm-hmm. Just curious, would you have, would you, what would be your preference um, if that was a possibility? Uh, OG Ananobi from Toronto and maybe let's say Kaminga and maybe Moody and maybe some picks or maybe just those two. I don't know. I don't know how much. Yeah, I feel, I feel like the package, it it probably would have been Kaminga, Moody, and then uh, either the package of picks that they just got from Wiseman or some of the Warriors on first rounders. That's really tough, right? That's really tough. You know, a week ago, I probably would have said no. Like, Kaminga is the one crown jewel of this young crop. He already looks, even at his young, inexperienced age, like he has carved out a rotation piece. But there are games like last night where, you know, it makes sense. He's so young, and he was completely lost out there. And his defensive intensity was used against him. He couldn't find his place on offense. And there is a true sense of something big needs to happen to shake up this team so they do find that focus to have adults in the room so it doesn't feel like every single moment has so much pressure on them to win these games because i feel like one of the things that's happening is that they're psyching themselves out when it gets to the fourth quarter and they're like oh my god are we gonna lose this game are we gonna lose this game and they start overthinking it and they throw it away I think it's a lot easier to say this after getting Gary Payton. I'm glad we kept Kaminga. Like, <laughs> okay. like it's nice. Hindsight's like, okay, always so 2020. We, yeah, for sure. Tr- truly, right? If it was just if it was just Wiseman as a, almost a salary dump and refreshing the picks, and we saved yeah. a lot of money and we got him off the books and like ended that drama, that would have been pretty hard to swallow. And I would have been, I probably would have said, well, let's throw in Kaminga. And like, I would have rather had OG and Anobi and something to show yeah. than nothing. But I, I think should. with with Peyton, like having it be like such a Warriors fit, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm playing both sides completely here, Sam, but. That's fine. You can do it. I can't, I can't say it. that I'm. I'm I'm happy that Kaminga's still here. It'll be fun to root for him as a fan and to see him carve out a place. And it's nice to also have a new injection of life and love into this locker room and into this team that clearly needed it. Point taken. Yeah, I think that um I think that the grass is always greener or it always seems greener on the other side, but that doesn't mean it actually is. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that there's no questioning how much improved the Warriors would be defensively with somebody like OG Ananobi. But then, you know, he's coming off the bench. 
which is a different role. He's, I mean, he mm-hmm. can shoot the three and he can score, but he's not necessarily a proficient three point shooter. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I agree with you that it would have been dis- disappointing to do the Wiseman dump and get those picks back and then not turn that into something. And so at least getting GP2 back, we can feel like we got the little shift that we needed, the little boost, the little edge that you're kind of referring mm-hmm. to to feel like, all right, guys, we revamped, we did something, no excuses. But at the end of the day, would Ananobi have been on the floor in that three-minute closing stretch where we couldn't get a bucket, and would he have made a difference? I don't know, right? I mean, would you play him over Wiggins? Maybe, maybe not. You know, like, who would be that closing yeah. group when everyone's healthy? And so then it's like, you've got Kaminga, who you're bringing up in the system and teaching him the right ways, and you just kind of have to deal with those those games where he just doesn't have it. Um, and it's hard to say if if Ananobi would be the answer. I think he would surely be, you know, he's he's way more experienced. He's way more veteran. So in some respects, he should be more playoff ready um, to contribute mm-hmm. and come off the bench. But also in, in reality, what that actually translates and looks like, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure if that would have been, that would have been better. But I think in hindsight, um gp2 really being the best fit because we already know what that looks like and we already have won a championship with him so it just makes the reunion that much sweeter yeah it's so true i mean these bob myers this warriors front office they do not like making mid-season trades because it is hard to adapt to the warriors system and to learn all of that it takes time and it's not time you get og ananobi his value got way inflated in all of these talks. I don't know how this guy in particular became like the big prize of the trade season. And then of course, Kyrie and KD end up getting traded. A lot of folks end up getting traded and then the Raptors hold on to everybody, which I find hysterical, but he's a, he would essentially play the Kaminga role, right? right? In that sense, I would almost make sense. It would make sense of the trade. Like he would be coming off the bench. He would be a one through five defender. He would be above the rim, but also be able to space the floor. And he would just be better, right? He would just be better because he knows more what to do. Whether he knows how to cut and play off of Steph, whether he'd be able to handle the pressure of having that wide open corner three that everyone's asking him to take. Because I can go both ways, right? Like, oh, wow, I've never been this open in my life. But also, holy shit, the entire world knows I'm going to take this three. And I have to make it or else my value is not good. Like, that's a pressure that has folded a lot of would-be shooters that come into the Warriors system. So I like the idea of keeping Kaminga and being like, hey, let's get him up to that level. It's just whether he can do it right now <laughs> for this yeah. title run and the next couple But that's years. why you get GP too, because you don't necessarily need, it, need him to do it right now. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think especially because GP2 helps with the defensive upgrade too. It's not just right. another player. For yeah. example, like if... Originally, it was going to be Wiseman for Sadiq Bey. That's exciting. Like, that's someone who could fit in the Warrior system, who has, like, youth and upside, but he wouldn't solve the problems that the Warriors have right now. Whereas Peyton, that is a defensive stopper you can put in and be like, okay, at least we have some different look we can throw at a team. Which I could say is more important for this Warrior squad than getting another shooter or another wing player. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, answering your question maybe it was 
a little bit more theoretical is what is OG and Anobi's value kind of vaulted or overrated. And I think it was in reaction response to what was happening in the West, which was um, a, an asset grab. Bring in as much firepower as you can, regardless of, of what you have to give away. Bring in bring in the stars. So contending mm -hmm. teams had to do a quick reality check of, oh, crap, we don't have a stopper. We, we don't have somebody who can stop Durant. We don't have somebody who can stop Luka. Um, and so the names quickly dwindle as far as uh, wing stoppers and... Um, Ananobi at the start of the season was like averaging three steals and two blocks a game. It was insane. And that doesn't yeah. necessarily translate to like on ball defense, but he certainly was a defensive menace. And so I think that that's where he was kind of being valued at, but also he, he tends to get injured and miss a significant amount of time as well. It's not the first time he's had extended injury. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's something he's almost better in idea than maybe he is in practice because he's a defensive menace who can play one through five and he can shoot enough to space the floor. So you could put him on pretty much any single team and you can plug a hole in. And that's a really right. special type of player. Right. But, you know, I've seen a lot of players be the Kevin Durant stopper and end up not stopping Kevin Durant. Right. So I don't know if it would be one thing if like we know in practice that he could do it. It's another thing to actually do it. And for what, you know, for everything else, the Warriors actually do have a wing player who can really defend, who did rise to the challenge last year in Andrew Wiggins, who guarded right. Luca and then Tatum in back-to-back -back series and whose defensive intensity was so surprising that he was almost the, he was like the hero of the playoffs other than you know our lord and savior Stephen Curry <laughs> so maybe that's not something that we need I mean that's another thing Wiggins needs to get back to that form right because he's even when he was lights out at the beginning of the season that was on offense on defense he wasn't quite shutting it down in the way he did in his all-star year last year so he's got to he's got to get back into form but you know it it's, I, I've been driving myself crazy talking about this, Sam, because it's exactly what you said at the beginning. Like, as soon as the Warriors decide they want to win again, like, we'll be good to go. It's just, right. it's amazing that they have not been able to find that rhythm. And it was stunning watching them get shut off in the fourth quarter. And they've been doing it with Steph, without Steph. They right. just, like, are finding ways to lose these games. And... No trade would fix that. OG Ananobi wouldn't fix that. It's right. not like they, it's not like last night that they started out the gate really slow and sloppy, and then they made a big push, and then they didn't have enough energy to finish it. You know, it was a close, fun game the entire way through. And then they just lost in crunch time, like they've been doing over and over again. And that almost speaks to a philosophy that's somehow been. I don't know. It's gotten mangled. This team, it's so three happy. They're not making the right plays. They get frozen and stuck in these moments. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm kind of hoping a guy like GP2 who likes to cut and who can make really impact dunks and that revitalizes it. Like maybe that's just another different dimension than just another good defender who can shoot a three. Right. Warriors, I think we joked about this earlier in the season. Warriors are like indirectly writing the playbook to tank. Like how to <laughs> how to play really good three and a half quarters of basketball and feel really good about 
your team and execution and then find a way to still lose the game. How to throw oh away gosh. a game even when you're up by five with a minute to go. It's just like every single use case. Of, <laughs> you've done everything Truly. right for most of the game, but then you still find a way to lose. Um, if this team was Utah or Oklahoma City, their fans would be the happiest fan base in the entire country they'd be like oh my god they have so much promise they're still in the lottery race like all it takes right. is one end of season like losing streak they're going to be right there it's wild to watch one thing i want to get back to real quick and i didn't watch a ton of detroit ball but i mean i wasn't like so high on sadiq bay like some people were like hey why has it been for sadiq bay cool i was kind of like eh, i mean i guess but is, i mean is he, is he that much better than anthony lamb than just like giving Anthony Lamb the fifteenth roster spot on a minimum deal. Yeah, you know that's that's an interesting thing because Lamb theoretically is like a bigger wing who can shoot and uh, who can shoot the three and maybe get a rebound or two. I think Sadiq Bay. I haven't watched a ton of him either. He's, I mean, he's a flamethrower. He's a really good shooter who made an impact right away. I think that would be really good. And I saw some tweets like he's from Villanova. He knows how to play organized basketball and that could fit in the Warriors system. So I think he would have been an upgrade. I think the talent's there. And my dude, I am so sick of watching Anthony Lamb get roasted on defense. <laughs> I don't really need, I'm like, I do not need to see this guy play too much basketball anymore. I'm like happy Jamichael Green's back, like get another bigger wing or big in there. So I, and I can't speak to Sadiq Bay's defense. I do know that Detroit team has a, it's funny. It's like, they're not a good defensive team, but they've got a lot of defensive grit and they try. So it's like, they're not quite there, but at least the, like the tools are there. So I think he fit in well there. I think he would have been pretty good, but I'm not, he was not the piece that would have changed this season around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think getting back to what you were talking about with like being three happy, I mean, it's so hard, right? You've got like Clay Thompson going off for, for 42 points. And it seems like he's going to replicate that last night in Portland. He like hits his first five or six threes. And so you think like, Oh, wide open layup or clay or clay open three in the corner. I'm going to give it to clay because clay's money. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, you've got to realize, take the damn layup. It's a two possession game. Mm -hmm. make, the, make the three on the next possession. Take the shot. That's there. Um, it's, and that's it's the frustrating thing. Cause man. again, it's, it's a Draymond. It's Wiggins. It's clay. It's pool. Well, pool maybe kind of gets a pass cause he's still a young player. Um, but these are the veterans, right? These are the veteran guys. This is the core. These are the guys who have been here. And it just doesn't seem like they're locked in. They're, you know, these games aren't meaningful enough. It's kind of like, yeah, Clay either makes the three and we're and we'll go on and win this game, or he misses and we'll lose. And I'm okay with that because we'll just kind of coast our way into the top eight. You know, I, I totally that they, that they show up for a game and then they half phone it in the next three games it's like as soon as they think they're good it's like the two game they get two games above 500 you think that everything is going to get right and they just don't they don't like pound in that nail like to finish it off i think in a vacuum yeah clay's an incredible shooter like that three would be great he's wide open but the veteran intelligence to be like this isn't in a vacuum 
actually, we haven't scored in like three minutes. <laughs> Portland has gone on an eight nothing run. Let's just get a basket, set our defense and keep going. And to watch them, I mean, it was two plays in particular. First, it was Draymond, wide open layup, who passes it to Clay. That's like Clay was wide open on the wing, but he's also tired. You know, that's another thing when they keep they keep going for these kill shots at the end of the game rather than just playing basketball. Right. We've we've gotten on Steph's case for it. We've gotten on Jordan Poole's case for it. We've gotten on all of their case for it. They don't just run their offense. So to watch Draymond pass up that layup, and then when they actually had a chance and they were making the um they made they got the steal and they're running, and Wiggins had that layup right in his sights and instead he passes it to Dante for like a pretty deep contested three like go up there and get fouled my dude like pause well, it just the goes clock. to Wiggins um fear of going to the foul line because it's like his career worst shooting at the foul line this season and that goes to like yeah absolutely and that's why I'm saying like I think they're a little psyched out about these games and like they are now seven and 20 something on the road like they are not winning games it is the groundhog day story after story i you know i don't want to play armchair psychologist but i think they get in their head and like who's going to be the goat for like the opposite ghost right not the capital goat but the the goat of the game of who's going to miss these free throws who's going to miss these shots and well, Wiggins, Wiggins in general is, is a career low in free throw attempts and career low in percentage so he's only taking two free throws a game shooting 60%. Last season was uh, 63.5% at three attempts per game. The season before that, three and a half at 71%. I mean, 70%, yeah. you take that, but 60, 60% for a guy who was shooting like over 40% from three and you can't, <laughs> you can't sit there and hit a wide open free throw. I'm like, Oof. and I, I thought he exercised these demons in the playoffs. He was like, okay, he was playing a little championship candor. But also, Sam, like earlier in the Portland game, Wiggins was playing big. Like he was going to the rim, getting his rebounds and pulling it in. Like it was exciting to see because it's a different element to this team that we hadn't been seeing. So to watch him just pass it up, it's like they've got to get something going at the rim. It's not like Portland, some great defense. And they don't even have a great rim protector. So right. I did I did really appreciate Wiggins like go up, go up strong, you miss it, go get the rebound and finish. Nobody's gonna stop you at the rim. Like um who's the only big uh, blanking at Eubanks. Drew Eubanks is not a shot blocker, right? Jeremy Grant exactly. is a shot blocker, but he's basically the same size as you. Like go up and see what happens. Totally. And like, even if you don't make the free throws, get fouled, stop the clock, talk to each other. Like they've, they get in these ruts and then the longer it goes, the more they want that magical splash three to like save them and they get more stiff. It's, it is tough to watch. Yep. Well, Steve Kerr did make comments that he was going to talk to the team and address, um, you know, chasing threes versus taking the layup. So, you know, it's just, it's just kind of comical at this point, quite honestly, because mm -hmm. we talk about this team, like they're a bunch of young developing players and you've got Jermichael, or you've got uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Ryan Rawlings. Three of those guys aren't even in the rotation anymore. Mm -mm. Um, 
And so it's really just Kaminga. And I guess Poole's kind of developing still, although he's in his fourth year. Um, but we are, you know, you've got Steve Kerr talking like this is a team trying to like still find its way. And it's like, guys, come on. This is like the same group for eight, nine years in a row. Um, why is this a question now? But I do think that there is, it is a much different game being played now than it was eight years ago. And Curry and Thompson obviously don't have the same legs. Um, I think mm-hmm. what Curry's what Curry's doing now is incredible. And I think he is a significantly better player than he was before, simply because of all the work that he's done on his body to get stronger, to get more endurance. But even him, right? We've seen mm-hmm. him at times struggle to convert down the stretch at the end of games. And so... Just seems like guys want to, like what you said, right? Guys want to be the goat of the game, hit the game-winning shot, be the one to be like, I brought it home for us. And you've got three different guys who can do that. Wiggins can hit big shots. Clay can hit big shots. Cole can hit big shots right now with the guys that are that are healthy and on the floor. But it's like, just play as a team. Just run the offense. Run the same sets that you were running. Get into split action, right? Like, I would be fine mm-hmm. if they generate an open three via split action then slowly bring the ball up barely get it across court before the eight second count sit there for three seconds barely get into a pick and roll and then just settle for for a contested three it's like you didn't make the defense work i get that you're tired but there needs to be some more urgency to get into some offensive sets that give you a better chance a higher percentage shot when you don't have a 10 point cushion right this is this is crunch time totally. this is execution time um so it's just tough. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it's almost silly at this point that it's like Kerr needs to talk to Draymond about not settle, about take the open layup and don't pass it out to Clay when you're down by five with like 45 seconds left to go. It's a two possession game. Get the bucket, please. Yeah, absolutely. It's like they get absolutely nothing moving downhill. The only player who goes downhill is Jordan Poole. And guess what? He's going to dribble it off his freaking leg and turn it over. <laughs> it's just like, it's like they have no other option. And they, we know that they can because we just watched the same core win a title. Like we know they right. have offensive variety. We know that what was so great was that Clay, last night was Clay was scoring. It wasn't just a lot of threes. Like I really loved his patience, his drives on the inside, his pump fakes, and then his like little step back shooter, like it seems so much more under control. Like, have these guys find different ways to score, and it's just wild that such a great game. That's a game last year that you're like they're winning, like they're in control, they're locked in. They took the Portland punch, and now they're gonna win, and they just can't. They are just not closing games, and in so many different ways. And in so many different lineups and so many different configurations is this team just cannot close these close games. And, you know, maybe they just need the all-star break. They need the reset and they need a chance to heal up and figure it out and get that urgency back. Maybe they're just waiting for the all-star break, but something's got to snap. And I like that we got, I think Gary Payton's going to be helpful, not just for every, all the basketball things we talked about, but they love that guy in the locker room. Like, he is a adored person, both in, like, the whole Bay Area and Warriors fans, but also in that locker room. I think having him is going to help with, there must be some kind of bad juju that's been happening ever since that punch that started off the season. And, like, 
Gary Payton can be a little like human personified sagebrush, not to sound like Kyrie Irving, but like let's <laughs> cleanse the locker room a little yeah, bit sure. here and get some about new that. vibes. Right. And and change the mentality. Get a little bit right. of defensive grit there. I think that's going to be great for him. And I mean, Warriors currently sitting ninth in the West. Um, same number of losses as the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, who are in sixth, uh, 31 and 37. Sorry, 31 and 27 for the number six Clippers, 28 and 27 for the Warriors. Um, it does not take much to vault yourself into the top five in this Western Conference. It's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taking a look at the schedule. I mean, we've got like a few games, a few games left against Houston and San Antonio. And then like a majority of the remaining games are against Western conference teams vying for playoff spots. Yeah. Um, It's not going to be easy. And you've got a few sprinkled in games against the East, but it's going to be a lot of, you know, over the next week, it's the Lakers twice, the Clippers, got Washington who's no cakewalk you got the Rockets Timberwolves Portland again Clippers again the Pelicans Lakers again I mean there's gonna be a lot of very close games and so this is not a problem of we're on the road and we can't win this is just we need to figure out ways to close games put up 48 minutes of consistent ball um you know maybe GP2 being that spark off the bench and help you know, taking the edge off really gets guys to settle in at the end of games. Um, maybe you even go to GP2 closing oh. games at times who can be the recipient of a double team um, and just, you know, bonafide rim rollers. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, there's there's uh, all it takes is a little push and you're immediately vaulted into the top end of the West. So um, it's been very frustrating and disappointing in the last couple of weeks and these games that we've thrown away but there's still so much opportunity just sitting there waiting to be realized by this warriors team and maybe maybe not right maybe they just continued to flip-flop win a couple disappointing loss win a couple disappointing loss and they're gonna sit there and hover between seven eight nine ten deal with the play-in and face the top end of the west and and go through the gauntlet that way um I think you'd like them to be in the top five in the West. Um, but I also wouldn't rule them out, you know, having to having to play Denver or Memphis or even Sacramento in the first round. I mean, that would be actually be ideal if the Warriors could get to six and and play Sack in the first round <laughs> and just not knock out Sack and just have a nice little uh uh cruise cruise through the uh the Western Conference first round. Uh. Um I feel so bad for Sacramento. They're having such a dream season. They're number three, their home court. It's such a feel-good story. And every single team in the Western Conference would be like, yep, I would love to play them. Let me be the succeed. That would be fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think that is so much to ask for these guys. And, we, we, you know, people were like, oh, we are only the third seed in the West last year. So home court advantage isn't that important. Home court advantage was huge for the Warriors last year. They were they were electric at chase. And they had home court advantage for every single series other than Memphis. And it took them winning all of their games at chase with Memphis. So I 
man, if they're in the play-in and they have to fight and they're from that position for four straight rounds on this team that's already pushed themselves way harder than they thought they had to going into this season, that's going to be really tough. I think they've got to, they've really got to aim for that five or four spot and not try to deal with the play-in. Because even you think about that, that's like, that's an extra two weeks of playoff basketball if everyone's bunched up around the play-in and everyone's trying at that like that level of intensity. That's a lot to ask for this old core. I I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. But I think my, you know, when I look at the roster and I look at the performance and, and the shortcomings, it it really seems like they're just phoning it in. And so for me, it's like, yes, it would not be ideal to be eight through 10 and have to be and have to go through the plan. But at the end of the day, you know, and especially with the addition of GP2 and what we've known, what we've come to expect from the Warriors in postseason basketball, I wouldn't put it past them to be able to go from the eighth seed and make their way through the West, even without home hey. If the war, I mean, I would, I, I would love that. I think they have it in them. They used to be the road warriors. They're not right now. So not quite sure what's going on there, but if they did that, then we, I mean, can you imagine adding that to Steph's legacy? Like a true gauntlet. I just kind of, but, but you know, thing? again, we're talking about regular season. I kind of think that once you get to the playoffs, it doesn't matter what you did in the regular season anymore for this year. I think it matters more about this team and what they've done historically at that point when you make it to the postseason. I, I get that, Sam, but like, let's go back to, let's go back a, like a month or a few weeks ago, Saturday primetime game against the Boston Celtics in Boston, finals rematch, Warriors trying to make a statement. They are winning the entire time. And then they choke away the game and they lose in overtime. Like you're telling me they didn't want to win that game. Like, that's a game they absolutely 100% wanted to win and turn on the switch. And they had won earlier in the season, like against Memphis and against Boston. Mm-hmm. I think it gets into really dangerous territory when you're telling yourself, like, yeah, once it gets, once we get in the playoffs, like, we're really going to buckle down and focus when they've had so many times when they've said, and the players have said, we need to focus, we need to turn it on. And we still have games like last night. I'm not saying they can't do it, and I think they can. I mean, this is one of the greatest teams in NBA history. These are bona fide legends who know how to win and have shown this season that when push comes to shove, they can win these games. But time is running out for them to really establish some patterns and momentum and, like, headspace that I think they should be in when they go into the playoffs. Fair point. I I take that. I'm just trying to not read too much into the regular season. And I think, you know, postseason basketball is a different animal in and of itself. It's officiated differently. Um, and I think not that officiating drives games, but when you're giving up a differential of like 15 to 20 free throws, mm-hmm. free points a game, you just really set yourself, you really put yourself in a hole from the get-go. And um, yeah, I think we'll just have to wait and see. I'm with you. I hope that they can, you know, at least get top five and and be in a position to have home court in some of these series. It certainly isn't the position you'd want to be in at the bottom of the the bottom of the playoff seating. Um, But I just feel with a high degree of confidence that 
if they make the playoffs, regardless of their positioning, no matter who the opponent is in a seven game series with, you know, all the chips pushed in and everyone healthy, I'll take the Warriors over anyone else until I see otherwise on the floor. And maybe this would be the year to be, you know, to be let down with that, with that kind of assumption um, or that uh, line of thinking, but that's what I've kind of come to expect from this group. When you've got that version of playoff Wiggins, when you've got Stephen Clay playing at a high level, Jordan Poole being a dynamic scorer, Draymond and Looney being um, so foundational and doing all the dirty work. And now you've got GP2 coming off the bench. Um, and that's with minimal expectations from Kaminga and even Jermichael Green and DiVincenzo. Um, just those those seven guys, I think they've experienced so much playoff basketball, even throw Iguodala into the mix, who isn't playing right now, mm. but would hope he's available and healthy come playoff time. Um, just so much more playoff experience than most of the West. And that matters. So true. Hey, I mean, can we think about a better story and a better like narrative arc than the Warriors setting the regular season record? blowing it in the finals and then coming around full circle to not having a good regular season and kind of coasting the way through it and then coming from behind each time to win the title again that would be a beautiful not redemption but a, just a beautiful aging thing a beautiful narrative <laughs> to watch i'm all for it i'm here for it bring it on i'm i'm riding with i am 100 riding with steph and this team until they lose but boy, do I not like watching them lose all this time. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, quick change of topic real quick. What are your thoughts on Bob Myers, and do you think the Warriors will re-sign him at the end of the season? Bruh, I have Do you think been... the, the GP2 signing changes what maybe you were thinking coming into the trade deadline? That's another twist uh, to the question. No, I don't think, I don't think it changes what... I'm thinking, I think it's more like they got rid of Wiseman. Like that's like a big, that's a big ego bruise to Joe Lacob who was holding on to him. I know you were saying earlier that it like, you know, what's done is done. They got, you know, they got Gary Payton for him, but it still must hurt. Like get almost getting Gary Payton specifically as opposed to just another player. It makes it so clear the woulda, coulda, shouldas in the past where it's like, oh, you let this guy go to hold on to him. And now his value is even lower just to get the guy you let go. But it might mean that, you know, Lacob's. Well, real quick on that that point. Um, Mm -hmm. If we had re-signed, GP2, we wouldn't have got DiVincenzo. So do you think that changes a little bit the fact that we got DiVincenzo and we got GP2 and we shed Wiseman in his salary? Because I don't think it's as simple as just like you could have just re-signed GP2 and traded and dumped Wiseman for something else and instead you did swap because, I mean, DiVincenzo is a significant piece for for the MLE that we signed him at for this season no Dante's been amazing and I have been so frustrated this season when he doesn't close these games especially when it's over Jordan Poole because he's much more (laughs) in control and kind of knows what he's doing and defensively can backbone that's a good point they probably I mean I think if you got rid of Wiseman's salary you turned him into something else you like you would have room to sign Dante to the mid-level but at the same or the vet men but at the same time if you had Gary Payton you probably wouldn't have gone after a guard so very true. It's nice to kind of have this 
three guard lineup that you can throw out at all times with all these things. That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I think it's, it's, you know, going back to the Bob Myers thing, I think maybe like the detente called over Wiseman, like, okay, like we're done with it. Like we, we whiffed on the pick. It didn't work. We got not a lot back from him, you know, not the number two pick in the draft worth of getting back from him. Right. But we got a player we like and fits with the core. I can't, I can't tell with all these games that Myers is playing with his podcast, with the reports. I hope he's back. I mean, he's such a great guy and he works with the locker room. I can't imagine that Steph would be happy to see him go. Yeah, he he certainly seems to be the one instrumental in all things Warriors. When there's conflict, when there's strife, the Draymond punch. Um, he's been the guy, he's been the constant with this group the whole way through it. Um, I'd I love feel to see like... him re-signed. I think I've, yeah. I've, been, I've been behind his decisions. He has. I don't think he's really led the Warriors astray. I mean, the Weissman pick, you know, it's on the, the shoulders of the GM for making the decision, but everyone was in the room, right? Everyone signed off mm. on that pick. And I think that if you had looked at everyone else who maybe went before or after him, um, I don't think LaMelo Ball or Halliburton or any of the other guards that have that have really blossomed would have developed the same way in the Warrior system because you've got Steph, uh, you've got Thompson and Curry and Steve Kerr's you know, kind of modus of development. Look what it took Jordan Poole to get to where he is mm-hmm. today. So I think LaMelo, for example, is just a good comparison is like a good player on a bad team. I don't think LaMelo would be the player that he is with Charlotte on the Warriors today. Well, you know, it, we, we'd never know, right? We'd never know. Right. And it's so funny because you're watching just the fact that three lottery picks, like back to back, have all struggled within the Warriors system, it's pretty easy to say, wow, if they had chosen LaMelo or Tyrese, or if they chose Franz Wagner, who's been great for Orlando, right? Right after, if they chose him instead, who knows how they actually would have played with in Kerr? Because it is, I mean, watching the devaluation of Moses Moody in particular, who is going to be like a key rotation piece to start off the season. It's a little bit different when the stakes are higher. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think also it's unusual for a team that just won a championship to have that many young assets to have to and then have an owner with such heavy influence and um, Mm -hmm. uh, hands-on in the day-to-day kind of drive some of the direction of the franchise when typically you'd be running with your vets and and your young guys are going to develop slowly because you're a championship team and you're not going to afford your first or second year players 20 minutes a night. And they're going to be on a short leash because you've, you're trying to, you're trying to win. Um, And so I think it's also an unusual situation and it's just like, just because you have these assets doesn't mean that you're, that you have to play them. Um, And I also think that there's some kind of politics between how Steve Kerr wants to play and develop the team versus Joe Lacob's vision for the future and a little bit of Mm -hmm. disconnect there um, from, you know, the ownership to the coaching staff. 
Absolutely. I mean, it just goes back to if they had the same exact record and the same story, but Moses Moody and James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga and even like PBJ and all those guys were getting consistent minutes and have roles on this team, the season would feel so much different. But the fact that Wiseman and Moody were shut out completely, that we're not playing any of the young guys and still have no, like we're, we're still in where we are and losing all these games, that makes it really tough to swallow. You know, to put, a, to put a postscript on James Wiseman, it's wild to watch him go and to see, like, the era that happens. I think the big, like, the prideful fallacy of the Joe Lacob drafting is that they chose not one but two really anti-Warriors prospects where they chose huge, big, physical guys who have athletic tools that no one can even dream of with Wiseman, and then they double down with Jonathan Kaminga. And then it's like, you can't play both of them at the same time. Like you don't have room to develop both of them at the same time, especially when, I mean, I'm I'm not the first person to comment this, but like the Warriors, they are, they pass, they're smart, they move. It's such an intuitive system. It's such a specific way to play. And they pride themselves on the Sean Livingston types of guys, the Andre Iguodala types of guys, people who can move off ball and fit in. And to get suckered in, or not suckered in, that's like a very hindsight 2020 way to say, but to get seduced by these athletic marvels who have such little experience compared to, say, a Tyrese Halliburton, who at least you know he'll be able to play professional basketball and a coach might like him a little bit more. That's where I'm like, I can't believe he chose twice. But at the same time, I mean... It's not like I don't want Kaminga. He's been great and he's really fun to watch. And it is that extra element. I think the doubling down on it is what ended up that sent James Wiseman out the door. You don't have room for both of them. Yep. I agree with that. And then you follow that up the next year with three more picks. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Who aren't doing nothing like Rollins, nothing, PBJ, nothing. Uh, I, I well, wouldn't say PBJ nothing. I think Patrick Baldwin Jr. when Kaminga and Jamichael Green and like all the forwards were banged up. I mean, Patrick Baldwin Jr. was coming in and striping threes for a nice a nice stretch of a couple games. He looked pretty confident and comfortable shooting from outside. He had a couple like situations where he was closed out on the three point line. He took it to the rim. Um, he looked comfortable, you know, spaced out there and passing the ball. He definitely shows yeah. some promise as kind of more fitting the mold of a guy who has more of the skills and is less of an athletic specimen. Ryan Rowling's, oh, you know, really when he's gotten minute, any type of meaningful <laughs> minutes looks out of his element. So it's a little hard to gauge. Um, out of his element is the. <laughs> Sam, out of his elements, like the <laughs> nicest thing you can say. When Ryan Rollins plays basketball, he looks like the worst player in the NBA. Not saying that'll be always the case, but it's shocking. Considering they were like, at the beginning of the season, he's going to be our guy, like our third guard off the bench, right. or our third string point guard. And I'm like, I love PBJ. I actually, I would love for him to play more minutes. When I say nothing, I mean, like, he is not in the rotation. Oh, I see. He is okay. not, like, Kerr, Kerr is not finding time for him. He's not soaking up minutes. He's not relieving Draymond and Looney of, like, that big stretch. So, tough to watch. Like, we have so many roster spots that aren't being used when we have such an old core that really shouldn't be playing so many minutes. Right. But that's why it's nice to get a guy who we know will play minutes in Gary Payton. 
And maybe, I don't know, maybe after the postseason or after the trade deadline, after the All-Star break, maybe Moody and Paul, Patrick Baldwin Jr. will kind of get back into that strength and numbers rotation if we can get a steady baseline of competence moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. I'm also curious because, you know, Draymond has a player option next season. Um, he's talked about wanting to get paid. You know, I'm sure he'd like to stick around with the Warriors, but I'm sure he'd also knows that an NBA is a business and he could go get, you know, uh, he could go get the bag in Detroit or with the Lakers. Um, <laughs> go back with James Wiseman. Yeah. Like the the, the um, Draymond Wiseman front court. Do you think that now, because that was always kind of my thinking is like, well, Wiseman doesn't really fit with the roster now, but if you trade Draymond, you kind of change the direction of now we do want like a, a, a traditional low post scoring center who you're going to post up and give him the ball in the post and he's going to go to work. Now that you don't have Wiseman, I mean, Draymond and Looney, that's your front court. I mean, you've got Jermichael mm-hmm. Green, who's, you know, looked better as of late than he did early at earlier parts of the season. I mean, poor guy with that staph infection in his leg, <laughs> that just sounds awful and terrible. Um, he Gosh, looks much yeah. more confident now, Jermichael Green, but are we really kind of all in on Draymond now that we need to bring him back and work out what that next iteration of his contract is going to be? And I mean, we got Looney on the three-year deal, but um, the future for the Warriors in their front court is a question. I think one of the bright spots of this season, I don't even know if you can call it bright, but one of the clear pluses of this season is that this team is not winning anything without Draymond Green. He has been like the second best player after Steph the entire through. His defensive efforts are great, the way he moves the ball, and he's made it clear like he's good. And we think about like where we were at the end, like when the finals ended, when he was played off the floor a little bit and Looney looked like he could do the Draymond impression and also anchor the defense, not taking anything away from Looney, but Draymond has been great this year. And he makes Steph and Clay way better too. And Poole. Like, I mean, what a big difference it was when he started playing more with Jordan Poole again. Poole start, finally started looking more alive. I don't know how they could let him walk or how they could get rid of him. And I'm kind of like, you know what? This is special, what Steph, Clay, and Dre have. It's special. They make each other better. Just ride with it for as long as you want. I don't know what... I mean, maybe it comes down to Draymond's decision, like if he could get like a bit more from another team and he chooses to do that. But I would almost rather trade one of the other big contracts on the team than get rid of Draymond at this point. But we'll know more when the playoffs comes and who steps up and who doesn't and all of that. Yeah, I'm with you. Pay the man. You need Draymond. This doesn't work without him. It does does not work without him. And Steph's he does, he does the too best. many things. Yeah. I mean, he's like, Steph's. I mean, you could, like, you could sell tickets and be an exciting offense and get rid of Draymond and, and put in another offensive player who can space the floor and spin and put up, you know, 130, 140 points a night, but you're not going to stop anyone on defense without Draymond. And I think it's like you go, going to the Warrior sister op, system, obviously. Steph's what makes everything go. He supercharges it. He's like the battery in the core that goes. But think about even last year when all three of the big three had time missing, right? Clay at the beginnings, uh, Draymond in the middle, and Steph at the end. 
the worst they looked was when Draymond was hurt in the middle. And that's when they were foundering. When Steph was hurt at the end, it took a second, but they count, they found an equilibrium because I think so much of the movement offense hinges on Dre's decision-making and defensive versatility. I don't know what it would look like without him. And he just makes these guys way better. Like, I don't care about the punch. Frankly, Jordan Poole's play this season has made me want to punch him. And <laughs> like, that's just what it is. Draymond is too important to this team. And he should stay a warrior for life. That would be a tragedy if he's not. I have not been as frustrated with Poole as others have been. I feel like <laughs> we take for granted how far along he's come and how what, how much he's being asked to do. The turnovers are putrid um, when he just dribbles it off his foot. But when you look at how he's trying to like split three defenders and do like a you know, behind the back, reverse pivot, cut through behind, whatever, whatever the heck he's doing. Um, he's figuring it out. He's testing the waters. And if the Warriors are just going to phone it in in these regular season games and not be consistent with their effort, I'm kind of like, you go, Jordan Poole. You go make all the mistakes that you can make now. So by the time the playoffs roll around, you have a sense of do's and don'ts. And um, God help that you don't dribble it off your foot in the fourth quarter in a key playoff game. Um, but, you know, Kirk keeps rolling if him out there and, mm-hmm. and he keeps, I mean, the, I'm seeing effort on defense too. He picked up full court um, last night in Portland. Again, he, he went to the ball. Was it Simons or Lillard maybe? But he's shown yeah. effort. He is showing a willingness to defend. It doesn't mean that he's, been a good defender or even an average defender but i think it starts with effort and he's certainly showing effort on defense he tries to go for steals which has sometimes been good um he's not necessarily in foul trouble every single night i don't know i just think that i haven't been you know you've got steph and draymond throwing the ball away four or five times a game and pools trying to do as much as both of those guys, it seems a little bit unfair that the developing guy wouldn't have kind of the same rope to make the same amount of mistakes. I get, I totally get that. I totally get that. I think there's, at least for me, the difference in some of those turnovers, because you're right, Steph and Dre have the dumbest turnovers sometimes. That's like Warriors basketball. They're throwing and then they throw a stupid pass. And if I have to watch Jordan Poole dribble it off of his freaking feet, <laughs> In the fourth quarter, one like it's just like those kinds of turnovers. But you've really highlighted something important, Sam. It's like it's he's still growing, he's still developing. And here's where I think it's almost not on him, it's on the Warriors system and this whole philosophy. The biggest reason that this team got off to such a rocky start and that they're struggling to find equilibrium, at least that I've been saying, maybe this is for another podcast. I know we've been going late, but Jordan Poole, we we do have two timelines. And Jordan Poole is not in the older timeline. He is a young player who is developing, who's learning his role. And the fact that he could not be at the beginning of the season, or even still now, part of that core six that that Kerr was talking about and the team was talking about, he never was able to figure out that six-man role. And like the last two games, he's been amazing. He was great against Portland. The whole team shut down, but he was great for against Portland. And he was great against OKC the game before. Kerr was saying it was the best game he ever seen him play. He's clearly better as a starter 
So the fact that he can't figure out how to bring that defensive intensity that he shows sometimes off the bench, that he can't figure out how to do that. And then also when they just starting the, him with the two guards and taking Looney to the bench, that didn't work either. So him figuring it out, that's where I'm like, it's just frust- It's like another thing for this team that has so many like projects to manage right now and so little ways to go and options that Kerr has on the bench has been frustrating to watch. And you're right. It's not fair to him. He is young. He is figuring it out, but it's tough to watch him figure it out when we're only two games above 500 or one game above 500. Yeah. Yep. It's a good point. I mean, the flip side is you've got like six guys that are, that are getting the bag right now for the Warriors. So it's kind of like, that's the result of having so many talented players and figuring out who plays or who doesn't and how to make it all work. How many Absolutely. guys, how many guys are going to be making 20 plus six, right? Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Poole. Yeah. That? That's no, it's, that's five. And then poor Looney who should be the sixth guy, but he's getting paid pennies because he just does the little things and he does them oh so well. Yeah. Look, I mean, this team still, like, they have looked like champions at multiple parts throughout the season. You're right. They have not found the focus, and they haven't all clicked at the same time. Like, right when the bench finally got stabilized, the starters started getting hurt. Right when the starters come back, someone else gets hurt. We've had some, like, Jamichael Green having that staff injury. Like, he never got the time and the rhythm to play Warriors basketball. Now he's looking a lot better than he was before. And that's a big addition to the front court. So maybe they just, you know, they've weathered the storm of this first half. Like it's been so frustrating to watch, but I wouldn't be surprised. They get Gary Payton. They kind of go into the all-star break. Steph heals up. They all take a chill pill and they're able to kind of realign and they go on that run in the second half. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think this is a nice opportunity to get GP2 and integrate him in the offense and have everyone figure out their roles while Curry's out and mm-hmm. give everyone like kind of that expanded role. And then Curry gets back, you kind of shift everyone down a notch, but everyone feels good and confident because they've been rolling. Was the similar yeah. situation at the end of the season last year? Um, totally had like a tumultuous 10 game run, but then the last five games really picked it up and rolling firing on all cylinders. And then you bring Curry off the bench and poor Denver. It was like, Mm -hmm. bring, bring Curry off the bench and pool starting and just everyone's going off for 30 points a night. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm willing it to happen. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. We're bringing back 2022 vibes, Sam. It's happening. All right, any uh, any closing thoughts here? I know we've kind of gone uh, above and beyond. Hey, this is of, trade deadline talk. And talk about here, yep. Lots of chat. I guess the only thing is their next game is Saturday primetime on ABC against the Kyrie Irving Dallas Mavericks. My main question, is Gary Payton going to suit up for the Warriors? He was only Wait, like, Sat- Saturdays sh- against the Lakers. Oh, Saturdays against the Lakers? It's not Dallas? Oh, well, either way. Dallas and Clippers are playing tonight, question mark? I think they played last night. Okay, Saturday against the Lakers. (laughs) Lakers, that's going to be pretty exciting because they have a bunch of new pieces. The same question remains. 
is Gary Payton going to play? He's not far away. He was just with the team yesterday. I'd hope so. I mean, I know he has to clear physicals and there's kind of like some paperwork stuff, but got two days. I'd hope so. That would be really nice. Get that baby glove guarding Anthony Davis. That's what I want to see. What, uh, what number is he going to wear, too? Because DiVincenzo oh, took I'm... zero. <laughs> he took zero, and then Kaminga has And Kaminga's double zero. Double zero. <laughs> <laughs> I zero? think they should make a New Jersey. Yeah, get that triple zero. Get that triple zero. Get like a, someone with a seven on there. We've got, that's fantastic. I think <laughs> that's what they got to do. Triple zero. Just keep on piling them up. All these guys who can dunk. I did think, this is going to be my last thought, against the Portland game when Dante had that crazy put-back dunk. And I was like, oh, he knows he's playing against Gary Payton tonight. He's like, I can do this. I can be this player. And now we've got both of them. It's a really sweet thing. Yeah, that was a sweet poster over Eubanks. Poor guy. Oh, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, go Dunks. I'm excited for the second half of the year. Yes, sir. Thank you for the time and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you, Sam. Have a good one, man. Take care.